This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. Broadcasting from beautiful Burbank, still on lockdown. This is the Knapsack Files. I'm Ken Knapsack. But another edition, we've got an interview coming up. I am happy to share with all of you, Brad Gilmore, multi-talented young man, coming in to talk about his new book, Back from the Future. We talked a little pro wrestling. Brad and I met through the movie trivia, Schmodown. We definitely have a connection Not just in our love of professional wrestling, but our involvement with it over the years. He's really involved with it heavily right now with reality wrestling. And we couldn't help help ourselves to talk about why we love wrestling and all those kind of things. So, great interview coming up. Stick around. Thanks to all of you who listened to Saturday Night Knapsack, the 12th edition, this past weekend. Give it a go. It's my fun little show. I, I just almost do for myself. Weird things all the way through it. I get it, but... Also, I just have a lot of fun and get to sit down with some cool folks. Christina and Chris from Dead Celebrity, uh, self-owned and operated clothing apparel brand store. And they're selling those cool masks that I've been wearing, Grace has been wearing. And uh, we not just talked about it, but we uh, we were both, both, both them and, and me. We're all moved by the Knapsack Files listeners who have mobilized and, and ordered masks from them. And you said, hey, Ken sent me. So they have uh, got a special deal going. You use the code Knapsack20. On checkout, any order, not just the mask, any order, you get 20% off. And I've got to tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll open up the curtain. I don't get, I'm not getting any of that. It's not like an influencer deal. That's for that's for them, and that's for you all as listeners who have uh, really just humbled, bo- again, all of us, both of us, Christina, Chris, me, um, both parties is what I'm trying to say, uh, because you guys really uh, really meant a lot to, to, to them for you to reach out, and it meant a lot to me. To say, hey, Ken sent me. It all works. So that's there. Also got to interview Nick Mundy. And, you know, good to always catch up with Nick. The mysterious Nick Mundy. Been hiding on social media. Not even hiding. Just making the correct decision to, to back away a little bit. That's coming up. As always, I want to thank my high-tier Patreon supporters. I want to thank all my Patreon supporters, to be honest. It's been, uh, you know, a definitely... Um, it's definitely been a, a a tough time, and 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 jobs are hard to come by. But to have the support, uh, the, the not just the financial support, but have the the friendly support, the emotional support, and and the business support, because there's a lot of things that bounce off a lot of the high tier members. Uh, it means the world to me. So if you want to support, you can go to Patreon.com/slash Ken Knapsack. Uh, but I also always like to shout out my executive producers. That's the high tier, and that's Thomas Rizling, Lethal Loganex, Bador, Matt Thompson, Nathan Ovendale, Zach Anderson, Ty Schellenberger, Chad Benefield, Tommy Terry Green over in the UK, Jonas Bergren, Andrew Steiner, Old Handsaw, uh, Zach Taylor, and Tyler Birch joining the team as well. Uh, hey, look, here's the you know, here's what's on my mind right now. Have you guys ever looked in the face of nature? And just been like frozen by it. We've got Grace and I and the dogs. It's their yard as well. We're fortunate to have a pretty interesting and cool backyard. 
got eh, some sp- stuff, a fig tree and some runaround room in the backyard if you want it in a storage shed. All right, that's great. But we got this nice little courtyard area. Some of you have seen it on Fire and Wine on the Twitch uh, channel. And a lot of little wildlife has come through. We've had raccoons, our neighbor's house. The raccoons have moved in there. I think a raccoon or some uh, really uh, pissed off possum tried to get on a roof one night during a rainstorm. We found the evidence uh, later on. You know, uh, we thought it was a ghost. We really did. I've told that story elsewhere. A lot of wildlife, a lot of birds, a lot of squirrels. Every morning, some rambunctious squirrels come through. Uh, There was a crow fighting a squirrel the other day. For supremacy of the backyard. It was fun to watch. But we have got a hummingbird family that moved in. And it's like the season. I, I, I've seen some other friends of mine post that they've had some hummingbird nests in the yard and everything. So, hey, it's the time of the season. But we've got this little hummingbird family. Yeah, we assume it's a family. You know, I'm not saying they're married, partners, whatever. Domestic partnership in the bird world. They started building a little nest in uh, this little spot, pretty low to where like our, our steps are from the house into the little courtyard in the backyard. So we've seen it. It's the same spot, right? And a tragedy happened. Grace doesn't want to talk about it, but they, they, there were some eggs there. And then a crow, a nasty crow, came by, preyed on them, like sat on the roof. Grace, unfortunately, had to see it. Egg, egg omelet. All right. Wasn't pretty, but it was nature. The circle of life was in, on full display. But not good. No one, no one wants to see that. And Grace is a, a big fan of animals and, and really was affected by it. But to our uh, joy, and we were worried. We were like, this, this, this has got to be it. The squirrel's probably not coming back, right? And squirrel. I said squirrel. There's so, so many squirrels. I saw a squirrel the other day. It was fierce. He was looking through the window, tempting me, uh, and, uh, challenging me to a fight. Um, the hummingbirds came back, right? Like tears of joy from grace. Building, rebuilding the nest. We shall build again. Built it in the same spot. That's why we're assuming it's the same family. Or maybe it's just a good hummingbird spot. But hummingbirds have come back. And I, I go out this morning, you know, you do the thing, you wake up, you, you get the dogs up, you start get the, you start the coffee brewing, and I went out on the back porch. And I heard a, I heard over me, like, right over my head. Uh, the Huey uh, helicopter, what's going on? No, it's uh, the hummingbird. And, and I got to see the hummingbird, the mama, with the, uh, you know, a piece of something, like a twine, something, and, it was, and, it, and it's, it's making this nest. And you know that's how bird nests are made. You, you know, you've watched Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, and you get that's how the bird nests are made. But to see it happen, it's, it's even in my advancing years, it's, it's, it's awe-inspiring. You just, wow, this bird knows where its nest is. It's going on a mission. It's coming back. It's building a little home. That's sweet. So it's doing that thing. And I grab up, I grab my phone out. My, my jam jams there. Okay. My pajamas, grab the phone out of the pocket, bring the camera up. And I'm just going to try to take a best I can without spooking it. Just a little photo of it sitting on its nest. Boom. It flies over to me. And I'm still holding up the camera out of just kind of, reflexes at this point muscle reflexes because I, I was frozen in fear it's a hummingbird you look at those beaks pointy stick it with a pointy end and this hummingbird comes i'm not joking because i have video of it to prove show and a foot maybe a foot and a half from my face hovers right in front of me Kind of gives me the once over. 
It's like, look, I'm building nests here. Back off, man. Are you a crow? Are you a crow? And I just sat there frozen, and then it flies away. And I had that. I just, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. Just did that, uh, am I going to die? But also, this is the most beautiful moment I've ever had in my life. What's from, from uh, Gross Point Blank, the Shakabuku moment they talk about? Mini Driver, John Cusack, the Shakabuku, Shakabuku moment, where, you know, just kind of your life focus shifts. I, had, I just was like, I am, a, I am at, the, at the foot of nature, and it can, it can do what it, it, what, it want, what it wants with me right now, because this is the most beautiful moment of my life. But also, wow, fierce. Because at first it was not friendly. It wasn't friendly. It was just like, I've had some trouble over here building my nest. Are you the problem? You better not be the problem. And I just kind of did that silent like nod. I am, I am definitely not the problem. Okay. And it flew off. And it came back later. A little bit later, about 10 minutes later. And I watched in the windows. It just sat in the nest. So we're going we're gonna to do as much as we can to keep the nasty crows away. We are on crow patrol right now. I'm going to go on the roof with a broom if I have to, to keep the crows away from that nest. I feel as though we have an agreement. I think that's what's happening. If you've had any success getting crows away, and not just shooting them with BB guns, uh, actually convincing them to not poke around uh, these parts, let us know. Let me and Grace know. Because we're on a mission. All right. Enough about my rambling. I got a guest. I gotta guess, we're gonna take a quick break on the other side of this break. Sit down with Mr. Brad Gilmore. team, I'm Grace Hancock, and I wanted to let you know that I'm adding new designs to my Society6 shop with several on their way. If you didn't know, you can go to society6.com slash Mrs. Graceface and shop prints of my original artwork, as well as tons of other items like stationery, notebooks, mugs, throw pillows. It's a great place to shop for gifts or just for yourself, especially in my shop if you like witchy expressionism. So head to society6.com slash Mrs. Graceface and check it out. All right, Knapsack Files listeners, I'm excited to have this guest on the show. We've been chit-chatting back and forth over the uh, last year saying, hey, we got to do some uh, talking together, some chatting, but, you know, it's always nice to have a good reason to do it. So that is why I'm proud to introduce and welcome to the Knapsack Files, the author of the book, Back from the Future, a celebration of the greatest time travel story ever told, Mr. Brad Gilmore, a.k.a. The Boat, but he's Mr. <laughs> Gilmore to us here today, author. Hello, Brad. How are you doing, buddy? Hey, what's going on, Ken? Uh, I'm excited. Finally, finally, we get to sit down. You know, there's been many of uh, a conversations in the backstage dwellings of the movie Trivia Mowdown live events yeah. and uh, over Twitter DMs and what have you. So I'm glad that we can finally do it on the podcast. Uh, yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, you can always slide into my DMs, sir, but I'm glad to uh, talk about this accomplishment, this achievement 
this cool thing that you you did that uh, you know it's no easy task and having yes I know I just wrote a book myself uh, you know uh, I don't want to talk too much about that process but I know probably what you went through where it's this maybe a fear should I do it can I do it oh I'm yeah I'm definitely gonna do it oh God why did I do it and then now to this point where the book's out so Brad I just I have to ask the process uh, how you how you decided to do this and what made you do this all those kind of big emotional starting points. Tell me about it. Yeah. You know, um, we could talk about the, the process, I guess. Well, I guess how we got here first is, so I grew up a back to the future fan, like pretty much everybody loves mm. the movies, but I yeah. came to them after they were all really released. Um, you know, I'm mm. born in the early 1990s, so I didn't get to see back to the future one until probably like 1999. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, when I saw it, just like everybody, it just captured my imagination. It was always the film that I'd go back to again and again and again. And um, it was, I don't know, maybe 2003 or something like that. My grandmother was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, which is the same ailment, uh, ailment that Michael J. Fox suffers from. And I don't know, that just even brought me closer to the movies. My hero went from Marty McFly to Michael J. Fox. Right. And um, you know, I always supported Michael and, and the foundation and, and, you know, I, back to the future was just everything to me. And it was 2015 and I, you know, that's kind of when the podcast boom almost started mm -hmm. in a lot of ways it was like 2014, 2015. And so I was listening to a lot of shows and I was like, Hey man, I'd love to find a back to the future podcast. So I go to the Apple store, I type in back to the future nothing comes up. I mean, you know, a couple episodes here and there, but no podcast dedicated right. to back to the future. So I said, God, man, it'd be great if somebody were to do a back to the future show. And then I was like, wait a minute, I'm doing podcasts. I'm doing radios. I'm doing YouTube and television. I could do the back to the future podcast. Yeah. And so I started it in 2015 and we're about to wrap our sixth season next week of the show and, you know, millions of downloads. And I've gotten to talk to everybody from Crispin Glover to Leah Thompson to wow. Mayor Goldie Wilson to, I mean, you name it. Yeah. I've, I've gotten to talk to them on the show and, and, and had these great conversations about this film trilogy, which I think is the greatest ever. So when you actually came out with your book, I had been toying with the Back to the Future idea of a book, you know, kind of to encapsulate these stories sure. that I've learned from the podcast. And then I saw, you know, you came out with your book and I was like, man, that yeah. Ken, Ken, and I got it. I was like, this is incredible. And, and you did it from a really smart perspective. Your book was why we love star Wars. And mm -hmm. it wasn't, let's talk about the negative things. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. You know, Oh my God, I can't believe Metachlor. You know, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't all that. It, it felt like I'm a massive fan of these films and I want to celebrate the reasons why I and so many other people love these movies. And that's kind of when it all started to fall into place for me. And I said, I want to create a celebration mm. of Back to the Future. I don't want to talk about, oh, yeah, you know, Eric Stoltz was cast and then he was fired and the whole Crispin Glover drama of everything. I want right. to, you know, have a celebration of Back mm. to the Future. And that's kind of when the book process started. And like you alluded to a minute ago. It's a very um, testing process. <laughs> yeah. book, it tests you in many, in many ways. And I, I, I'm a serial procrastinator anyway. Oh, like yeah. I, I, I do well with like a deadline mm. and knowing, okay, if I have to hit this, I'll hit it. But I'm a procrastinator by, by trade. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I think a lot of creatives are. Um, we are. We are. And so this, this book writing to me 
I likened it to, I, I was in, you know, music early in my career and right. songwriting. I kind of equated it to songwriting of you just had to have that burst of creativity come through for you to kind of start the process. And then once you start, it's easy. But, and that's what I always found in music is I, I just had to have that first lyric. Yeah. Once I got that first line figured out and how I'd started off, it was all downhill from there. And that's kind of what I felt with, with mm. the book. Yeah, that's that's all true, man. First of all, I want the record to reflect that uh, Brad used the word smart and me in the same sentence, and I'm going to put that on my resume. It's good to go. Uh, yeah, no, and I think it's absolutely a great uh, way to approach these things. Not that you can't have some fun uh, digging into some film criticisms, criticisms and exploring questions you might have, particularly about things like For Star sure. Wars. But yeah, Back to the Future is such a fun movie. It, it, it's very rare to find someone who's like, I don't like that being into it to a different degree or uh, I, I kind of like the movie, but I've never met someone who's like, well, that's trash. <laughs> so you're, you're starting. You're, 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 Nobody, it's, it's a universally loved movie. I, yeah. I haven't met anybody who's like, God, what an awful crap box of a movie. Back to the future is no one, no one really talks about it. Now people like have their criticisms with the sequels. And sure. I think, you know, too, as a star Wars fan, people have criticisms with sequels. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Just but, a little bit. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I love two and three as much as I love one. I think it's just a great overall story. You touch upon it here in the book, uh, as I was reading through it, I, I am one of those people that kind of thinks I secretly like three better than the other two, though. I acknowledge one is the better film. If that makes sense, you know, I'm one of those. (laughs) Yeah. So when I was a kid, back to the future three was my favorite and it wasn't even close like oh, Back wow. to the Future 3 was my favorite. I don't know if that's because I'm in Texas and we grew up on Westerns and sure. it just reminded me of some familial roots. I don't know what it was, but I always loved that Back to the Future 3. And um, when you look at the, all three of them, yeah. three and one have the most similarities to each other. Even though in Back to the Future 2, he goes back to 1955, yeah. he and Doc. Back to the Future 3 is Marty and Doc stuck in the past without a clear and defined way of how to get back to the future. Mm. And they have to, you know, find a way in the first one. It's Hey, I know the lightning's going to strike clock tower at this time. Right. We have to get there. Everything's got to be ready to go at this time on this day, or we're stuck here, stuck here. And in back to the future three, it's the same thing. We're stuck in 1885. There's no gas stations until the 20th century. What are we going to do? Oh, steam powered locomotive comes through Monday at this time. We got to do it to the, the different kind of tension, but I, I love that trend sequence. I really do. I, I, I'm all there uh, for it. I love uh, Mary Steenburgen. I think she's great. And I'm a huge Christopher Lloyd fan just growing up. Uh, I was around when Taxi was on the air and all that kind of stuff. So, but, but Doc Brown was the first time I saw him. In fact, I remember thinking, well, the, that old guy is in that taxi sitcom. Wow. That's weird. Uh, <laughs> it fell for the age. Um, uh, you know, it's funny. I know you said, you, you know, you're not here. You didn't set out to write this book as uh, let's just go through all the facts that uh, a lot of them have been discussed. You, you, you do do that. You talk about that, but like I learned, I didn't know Melora Hardin was originally cast uh, for the Jennifer role. Like, and she's a great performer, goes on yeah. to the American office. I, so you got stuff in here, my friend, that uh, even a, an old dog like me thinks they've, ah, I got the story down of what happened in the movie. No, there's something new in here. And how did you go about grabbing all of the, the research? You got a lot in there. Uh, for me, it was a little different on Star Wars. It was like, let me just watch the same scene 
50 times today and write about my emotional journey through. You really pulled in some great research for this. I know you're a busy cat, man. How did you how did you go about doing that? I know you had the podcast as well probably helped, but that doesn't you can't just dump a podcast into a book. I found that at least. So I don't know, you know, how did you how did you uh, gather all that stuff? Yeah, the podcast wasn't as helpful as I thought it'd be. To be honest with you, I was like, "Oh man, I've got, I've already done all my research." I I remember talking to the publisher. They're like, "Yeah, you know, you're gonna take a few months by to research." I'm like, "Oh no, I've already done all my research. I've been doing this show for five years. I know everything." And then um, you realize it's not as helpful as you want it to be. So, um, a lot of it was from other books too. I mean, there's the mm-hmm. Ultimate Visual History of Back to the Future, which is a phenomenal. It's like a textbook. Yeah. of everything you need to know. There's the Cassine Gaines book, Why uh, or We Don't Need Roads, the making of the Back to the Future trilogy. Right. So I relied on those for the first part of the book. And that was one of the things that I wanted to do. I was like, you know, I have an opportunity to separate this into three parts. And the first part is the information you know, side of the book. It's more of the, here's the background. Here's where we've been, where we're going, how we got here. Here's, you know, the stories of the casting and and the whatnot. And so I I focused on them and a lot of interviews from Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis. Bob Gale, who is the co-writer and and creator of Back to the Future, is a wealth of information. And also the the gentleman who runs backtothefuture.com, his name is Stephen Clark, and he's also a one-stop shop. He's like the Dave Filoni of Back to the Future. You can ask him anything and he knows, oh, that was said on this day, on this time. I, I have the newsletter back from 1989. I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll email it to you. Or, oh, wow. oh, oh, here's the story about Otis Peabody. I'll give you the backstory. He was actually going to be in Back to the Future too. And he'll give you the whole thing. So he was an, an awesome source of information, especially for those first three chapters and, and yeah. a couple of the ones in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to make the book different from other back to the future books as I'm sure yep. you did when you, when you wrote yours is how can I make this different? And I felt like I would be doing the, the, the book an injustice. Do I, if I didn't focus on some of the background information that had sure. been covered before, I feel like you have to yeah. have that in there, especially for the layman who knows nothing. Some people might just be like, yeah. Oh, this looks like a cool cover and they pick it up and Oh, yep. I like back to the future and they don't know everything there is to know about it. So I felt like I had to break it down. So a lot of the research, like I said, too, was, um, the 30th anniversary trilogy had a lot of great, you know, making of and behind the scenes documentaries and, and featurettes. Right. So, you know, just kind of an amalgamation of all that content rolled into one and, and try to, you know, condense it in the mm-hmm. best way possible in those first three. Cause, cause another thing I wanted to do, Ken is yeah. I discovered the series, like I said, when I was seven or eight years old. Right. And I wanted this book to be, for all ages. I, I didn't mm. want someone to see it and, and, you know, kid, maybe who's 10 or 11, 12, see it and be like, Oh, I love back to the future. But uh, man, I, I don't know. Is this going to be too cumbersome for me to read? Right. I try to do it in real plain English, yeah. uh, down and dirty here, the basics and, you know, a little bit of humor there, try to yeah. make it in my own voice as much as possible. And uh, so that way you can be 12, 22, 32, 52, 92 right. and still read this book and, and, and get something from it. I think you definitely succeeded in that. It, it reads real easy. And that is uh, something that I had no choice but to set out to do with my Star Wars book because me is not smart much. So it's just me having a conversation with you, you know, and, that, and that's where it connects because this is something so personal to you. And that's what what's fascinating. I, I know you certainly know you and I certainly, you know, uh, count you as a friend, but I don't know you too much because you're in another state and we work together. We're all when we're around each other, we're always working together. We haven't had that chance to go to right. a, a Houston bar and grill yet. We'll do that. But so for me to hear like, oh, Brad likes Back to the Future. That's cool. No. And to learn 
through this book, the connections you talk about your your grandmother and and, and the connection there. I love that. I love that you get to share that and kind of be uh, an ambassador for this series. And and uh, do you, especially with the podcast going on for a long time, is that do you ever feel that? Not, I'm saying like feel the weight, but feel like kind of the joy of like, yeah, let me go represent this to everybody and kind of uh, share the joy, my joy, which is theirs. You know, I felt it somewhat from the podcast because, you know, you get tweets or fan mail or, or you know, emails or DMs or whatever and people saying that they like it. But I, the, the response I've gotten from the book has really made me feel like, oh, wow, like I never want to be called the foremost authority on Back to the Future. Or here's right. Brad Gilmore, Back to the Future expert or none of that. But an ambassador is a really good way to, to put it because I do love these films and I love what they stand for. I love the story about family and how important it is to believe in yourself and to stand up for yourself. Um, I, I love those themes. And I think that those are universal themes. And and really, aside from the incredible DeLorean and the time travel aspect of the films, it, it is those themes that I think make this story so timeless for everybody. Mm. And so, yeah, I, I, I really love doing that. And, and, and the thing is, I, I, this movie or these movies – made me connect with my older siblings too. My oh, wow. oldest brother's 23 years older than I. Wow. So we don't have a lot in common other than, uh, you know, Hey, uh, wait, have you talked to dad today? You know? So <laughs> how's the weather? Um, yeah, exactly. And you know, he's, he's a, my oldest brother's a psychiatrist in California. So we, we don't, we don't have too many things that we can discuss and back to the future, even through this book, I felt like I've gotten closer to my brothers mm. because I'm texting him like little things about back to the future. And he's texting me back trivia questions and we're going back and forth. So uh, mm. yeah, these it, it's cool to, um, to be able to tell my story a little bit through um, one of the greatest stories ever told. Yeah. Uh, and I, I definitely agree with that. And, and, and the behind the scenes stuff too is so valuable. It's so interesting. I love the stories, the Mechas and Gale and all the stuff coming together, but yeah, it's, it's what these movies mean and the why of the movies that makes them last a little bit longer. And I, I think you accomplished that. And let me talk, ask you about the writing process itself. Cause I've talked about it on other shows and interviews where there was absolutely, I can, I mean, literally can recount three times during the writing process where I had my head in a pillow crying saying, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And I remember talking to Alicia Malone with her book. She was like, "Oh, yo, oh, oh there were some long nights." Uh, did you? 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 Again, you? You're a hardworking guy. You're a multi-talented guy. You got a lot of experiences already, and, and you got a great career still rolling out in front of you. But what were the hardest moments in this book writing process for you? So uh, there was a lot, man. I, I felt <laughs> like you. So I'm a collaborative person right. by nature. Um, coming up in music, you you work within a band. Mm. It's a collaborative process. You bounce ideas off people. Going into the radio with um, Booker T, yeah. you know, we, we bounce ideas off of each other. Oh, what if we talk about this? Oh, this would be funny. Oh, we could do this little bit here. It's collaborative. Even writing a wrestling show, collaborative. So mm -hmm. everything I've done has been a collaborative process. This was one of the first ones, if not the first project that I worked on where I wasn't talking to anybody else. Mm. I wasn't bouncing ideas off. I was sitting in my room with the movies on, with all these other books on my bed, with my laptop, pecking away at a computer. And I mean, it's, it's a very challenging process. It was tedious at times. There were times where I would write, 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 write and just delete the entire word document and yeah. say, that's all crap. You know, I got to do this again. And, um, and like I said, I'm a serial procrastinator. So, yeah. um, trying to find the the inspiration and getting through that process, man, it, it was really tough. And 
I think that, and maybe you agree with me, mm. it's the most difficult creative project I've ever worked on in my life. And I hated it while I was doing it. <laughs> Do you remember when, um, yes. when uh, 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 Daniel Craig a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. he had just finished uh, Spectre, the James Bond movie, and he was doing an interview and they asked him, so you're going to come back to do another Bond? He goes, I would rather break that glass yeah. and slip my wrist right now than to do another James Bond movie. Yeah. And he was saying that because he just got out of the funk. Right? Yeah. He just got out of it. And and the, the the grind and the rigors of producing a film like that. And it's, it's similar to what I felt like with this book when I was done with it mm. and I sent it in and I approved the final you know, edit or what have you. And it was yeah. sent off to the printers. Uh, my girlfriend was like, so what's your next book going to be about? I'm like, there's not going to be one. What are you talking about? I never want to do this again so long as I live. And I've softened on that, of course, since then, you know, I did now that it's out and I'm seeing the reaction people have to it, it does make you go, Oh, you know, maybe I could do this or maybe I could do that. Yeah. But, um, I I think that the, the process was challenging, man. It was, it was way more challenging than I thought it was going to be. I am in full agreement of you not to turn it too, too much into my story here today, but yeah, I know there, those moments you're crying everything and then you get it done. And then there is kind of a period of you're like, all right, I did that. I did that. Definitely never going to do it again. And I'm sitting here right now, a year later from the release and I'm just starting and it might work. Timetables different for other people. I'm just starting to get some ideas in my head of, all right, maybe I can get on the phone with them and see what's 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 out there for me because I got some ideas. But then I I'm afraid because because it, it was for me several months of just those long days and it, yeah. but it is which is rewarding. That's part of that's part of you talk about the lessons of Back to the Future, believing in yourself. That's one of them. And it was tough for me to believe in myself at the beginning, but I got through it. Uh, you're always going to second guess. You're always going to look back. I'm sure you're doing the whole thing where you're reading the book and going, "Why did I write that?" Um, oh, so yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a terrible self critic. Yeah, and and that was one of the things that I was after it was done, and I knew it was coming out. Like the days leading up into it coming out, I'm like this book, what if this book sucks and everybody <laughs> hates it, you know? And I, I started to try to like, uh, I got like a link to the audio book and I'm like, well, let me listen to it for a little bit. Mm. And I got maybe 30 seconds in and I was like, I can't do it. I just can't listen to it. I can't read back because I'm going to say, oh, exactly. I'm going to say, why did I say that? Oh, I could have expanded upon this this way. But I only I know that. Yeah. You know, no one else knows what I could have said or what I should have said or what I was thinking when I was writing that. So it was a challenge too. And and the thing was balancing because you're you've got so many shows and the movie trivia showdown and, and 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 so much going on. And and I felt the same too is is yeah. the balance. At the time I was doing this, I was doing the show three nights a week with Booker, the radio show. Yeah. I was filming Reality of Wrestling. I was doing the Back to the Future podcast the Schmodown rundown every single week. Yeah. And um, by the way, I was taking 17 hours of classes at, at you know, my university right. trying to finish up and get a degree yeah. and, and trying to like maintain a relationship with yeah. my girlfriend <laughs> and friends and, and yeah. sanity. Yeah. So yeah. I was super busy. It was the busiest time in my life. Um, but it was rewarding. Like you said, yeah. when I was done with it and it came out and people responded to it positively, it was such a high. You know, because mm-hmm. you know yeah. this, because I saw you do stand up uh, here in Houston I'm when we did sorry. the show down here. Sorry about that. Apologize. And, yeah, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was fine. I, I enjoyed it. But 
what was funny, what was great, what's great about comedy or what's great about the art of pro wrestling or being in front of a live crowd. What, like I said, I started off in music is you have that instantaneous feedback from the audience, right? You know, if I say this joke and it's funny and it connects, I'm going to hear that laugh instantaneously. Yeah. Whereas in a book, if you take a big risk, cause there's a chapter in the book, which is actually my favorite chapter. It's chapter five. It's American time story, old man Biff. Yeah. And toward the end of the chapter, I come up with different theoretical ways that Biff could have died. And, um, and I'm writing these and I'm entertaining myself as we would say, I'm <laughs> popping myself, um, <laughs> writing them. And then I'm, I'm like, are these going to, are this, is this funny? Like, I don't know yeah. if it's just funny to me and I don't have a test audience. And so those are the, the risks yeah. you take in this, in this process that you just have to hope hits. You just gotta, you just gotta trust the process, trust the creativity, trust your skills. Yeah. I like, I, I was fortunate enough to do the audio book and I actually enjoy my audio book version a little bit better because I was in studio going, Oh my God, how do they get the, how did they let me publish this? Uh, let me change that. Let me change that. And I got to change a couple of things. So I don't know. Maybe I recommend uh, that for authors. Read your own book later, but I'm with you. Um, uh, about about the movie itself and the series, I, I know you just touched upon it, but I'd love to discuss it here on the show. The idea in this, uh, you know, aside of uh, from Zemeckis or Gale, especially got Bob Gale's opinions on a future movie uh, with Back to the Future. I, I, as much as I would be opposed to definitely a straight reboot or anything, there is something in my soul who loves these movies that goes, I, I could see some sort of continuing story. Do you think that's possible? Forget the legalities or forget if Bob Gale's going to hold a shotgun at the door and say, no one's coming in here. Uh, do you, do you as a fan who, who celebrates this and this means so much, do, do you immediately shut your brain off to that idea? No, I'm, I'm very receptive to the idea. So uh, this is what I've been saying is I'm not rooting for it. I'm not out there on the front lines cheering for a new Back to the Future movie, reboot, sequel, mm -hmm. remake, whatever, continuation, spinoff. I'm not out there rooting for it. But if it happens, I'll be re I'm receptive to it. Yeah, I, I, I don't mind seeing it. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. the way that I look at it is uh, I think a good example was Phantom Menace. Right. Mm -hmm. Is, hey, we're getting a new Star Wars movie. I love the first three Star Wars movies so much. Uh, but we're getting a new one and everyone was real hype about it. And here's the thing. Mm -hmm. If Phantom Menace came out in 99 and it rocked everybody's socks right. and it was a perfect movie, everyone would be like, God, we just have more, more great star Wars in our lives. Right. You know, the reaction was so, so and so, yeah. but you still have those three original films. Yeah. And that's how I feel about back to the future. I, I, I kind of touch on this in the book too, is I saw the 2016 version of Ghostbusters, the all-female cast. Right. And I went into it, and I love Ghostbusters. Those two movies, I love them. I love Ghostbusters 2 just mm -hmm. as much as Ghostbusters 1. I know that's blasphemous <laughs> in some circles, but I don't care. Yeah. I also like Fletch Lives as much as I like Fletch. I do too. Um, yeah. <laughs> thank you. So I went into that movie with an open mind, and I just I didn't like it. It just mm -hmm. didn't click for me. It didn't hit with me. Yeah. And I don't think it had anything to do with like all the – uh, social political issues going on around the movie. I just didn't really, the movie didn't hit. I didn't right. like how they use the original cast. So there's all these little complaints I had. Yeah. So that night I went back and I watched the original Ghostbusters to see if this new experience tainted the greatness of the first Ghostbusters. And it didn't, it right. didn't change my love for that movie at all. So that's what I say about back mm. to the future is if they do another one and it's awesome, that's like the greatest day of my life. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> way of more, 
phenomenal back to the future we can talk about and love and experience for years and years to come. And I can rewatch a thousand times mm. if it sucks. I, you know, I don't have to watch it again. I still have the original three. Yeah. I, I say that again, I'm not rooting for it. Yeah. I'm not rooting for it. And if it happens, but, but if it happens, I'm receptive to the idea and I don't know, maybe they could even do a 10 part Netflix style series of back hmm. to the future or something oh, like that. Like there's all kinds of different ways you could go down it. And I'd be open to any of them. Uh, no, I, th I think that's a great measured response and, and a great way to approach it. Great way to think about, too, the other properties. Uh, you know, yeah, it, uh, episodes one, two, and three don't take away four, five, and six from your heart, <laughs> you know, no matter what you feel of them. Uh, Indiana Jones movies, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, didn't take away uh, the other, the joy you have the other ones. It, it would only be better. You're right. It would only be better. And sometimes you got to take those risks. So I, like I said, I'm, I'm open to it. I've never more than almost to my surprise. I've been like, no, I could, I could see a scenario where something about that could work. The new McFly family. I don't know. I don't, I'm not the one putting it together, but it's something that's interesting. And definitely because again, the movie inspires so much and there's so many great characters in this little world in this trilogy. Uh, and I understand, I agree with your statement too, that this is like the best trilogy because Star Wars definitely went beyond just being a trilogy. Uh, so this, uh, this works for me uh, in terms of, a one, two, and a three. That stands tall. Uh, we're going to talk at the end of this uh, where you can get the book and all that kind of stuff, Brad. But in the time I have left with you, I, I, you mentioned the art of pro wrestling. You work in wrestling. Uh, you work alongside uh, Booker T on uh, radio and in reality of wrestling. Uh, you, you know, I've been in and out of wrestling since 2001. I love it. And I want to talk about your favorite wrestlers, your favorite matches. We can have those discussions another time. I want to ask you, what drew you to wrestling early on? You know, I mean... I came across it like so many people do flipping through channels and you stop and you're like, what is this? And I remember it was 1998 or nine mm -hmm. around the same time I found back to the future. I was flipping through channels and I saw this bald headed guy, um, you know, kicking people in the gut and grabbing around the neck and falling to his you know, butt. And I was like, what is that? Yeah. And it was Stone Cold Steve Austin giving someone a stunner. And, and that's, I mean, it was Monday night raw. It was the height of the attitude era. It was probably the, one of the most popular times to be a wrestling fan. And that's when I fell into it. And I just kind of never stopped watching until, you know, high school, you kind of get out of it, but something about it. Just, I just love the fantastical characters of yeah. it. I love the undertaker. I love Kane and something about it. Just like everybody at that time, it just captured my imagination. And I fell out of it. Like I said, when I got to high school for a little while, sure. my interest was more so on, girls and music than it was on, on pro wrestling. Yeah. And then afterward I had the opportunity, you know, one thing led to another and I found myself in a meeting with the great Booker T who yeah. the first ever live event I attended was King Booker versus Rey Mysterio for the world championship was the main nice. event. Nice. And here I am all those years later sitting in his office trying to get a job with the guy and <laughs> you know, crazy. Well, wrestling world's crazy and I love it. Yeah. Wrestling world is. And, and, I, I keep I call it a great American art form. I really do. Practiced all over the world, perf perfected in other ways and in, in other parts of the world too, for for sure. But I literally, t I, I I can't. You know, and I have some close friends. A lot of people, like Josh McGugan, Mark Ellis. I can't I can't convince <laughs> them to watch this for two seconds. I, and I never will, and I never I never care to. I'm not going to force anyone to watch something they don't love. But I will die uh, on the hill of this is storytelling at its finest. 
And I love those moments of putting matches together or seeing calling a good match or being involved in the match as a manager, whatever it is, or just watching a story unfold and watching it work. Uh, I, I got to imagine that's something that keeps you around and inspires you, uh, the storytelling, yeah, the, the art of it. The storytelling is what it is. When you're a, when you're a kid, it's the moves, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, look at that. Look at that. Oh, that's awesome. But when you when you continue to be a fan into your adulthood, it is the storytelling. And I, I agree with you. It's such it's one of the most pure forms of storytelling that can be altered on the fly. Yeah. If you go to a Broadway production three nights in a row, you're going to see the same show. They're going to follow the script. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and that's 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 the art. They have to follow the script. They have to deliver that script every single night with wrestling. They got to follow the script too, but they listen to the crowd. And if the crowd tells them, Hey, we're not feeling this. You need to go another way. They can alter on the fly and still tell that story. And for me being a commentator mm. at the reality of wrestling and trying to put the lyrics to the wrestlers music, yeah. I always love, you know, cause I'm, I'm, I'm involved in the writing process too. So I always love seeing what I thought was going to happen doesn't happen. Mm. And they have to alter based on the crowd reaction. And when you think about it, I don't know of any other live form of entertainment right. that is so dependent upon the crowd's reaction. Of course, comedy, right? Stand-up sure. comedy is so dependent upon the crowd reaction. But to have two people mm. who go out there with a plan and then are able to tailor that plan to elicit a particular reaction, not only from the people in the crowd, but the people watching at home and around the world live yeah. at the same time. There's no environment like it. Pro wrestling is like the ultimate entertainment boot camp too. Yeah. You only get one take at everything. You have to be able to improv. You have to be able to hit your lines. You have to be able to uh, entertain a live crowd and a television audience at the same time. Mm. It's uh, it's mm. just such a fun industry to be a part of and to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's a crazy industry. There's some colorful characters who come in and out of it for sure, but I just, uh, of all the things I've been involved with, uh, there's just some of the, those moments. I, we, I, when I was even involved and we booked, I, w- I was doing uh, my last year when I was kind of regular, uh, kind of doing it uh, weekly, monthly. I was just behind the scenes and we, we had a battle royal. And we had an 18-year-old kid who was 110 pounds called the Maybe Kid. This is when uh, the Yes movement was breaking out in the WWE. And um, we, we had him win. We set the story up. And the last guy he eliminated was a 400-pounder named Tarex. And the way it worked out. And the pop from the crowd, it, and it brought tears to our eyes. The story we told of this eighteen-year-old local boy, and it's like I am like I've never experienced that anywhere, anywhere where something I've done I've cried over the reaction, you know. Yeah, there's there's been a lot of like hugs and high fives in the back, you know, um, after something goes off, just like you have it in your head. Or the best thing is, as somebody who helps plan the shows out and helps write, is when you give an idea to the talent. Mm-hmm. And the talent takes it to the next level. Oh, yeah. And they say, oh, that's great. Okay, but what if we do this? And then what if, we, and I'm like, oh, no, we're hitting on all cylinders here. And to see them go out there and pull it off, it's it's a really, it's a really cool and rewarding feeling. And I just, I just think that when pro wrestling is good and you can even take the most jaded individual, you can take the Josh McCuga or the Mark Ellis or, or the most jaded wrestling, you know, individual, and you can make them suspend their disbelief. I, I guarantee mm. If you turn on Rock versus Hogan for anybody, yeah. they're going to be entertained by it. You know, yeah. they, you have to be entertained by it. If you turn on uh, Shawn Michaels' Undertaker from WrestleMania 25 or right. Macho Man and Steamboat from WrestleMania 3, yeah. there's something about the greats who, when they lock in mm-hmm. and those two guys 
are dancing in the middle of the squared circle in the middle of that 20 by 20 and giving you everything that they got. And they make you believe I find myself getting caught up in it sometimes Mm too. Like if there's a camera on me, sometimes at the reality of wrestling, I'm jumping out of my chair. (laughs) I'm like, you know, on the edge of my seat at times because I still get wrapped up in it. Yeah. And I know what's supposed to happen sometimes. And I still get wrapped up in it because when the storytelling is hitting and and it's connecting to the audience and to, and and when the guys in the ring are connecting to one another, Mm. it's just so, I don't think that there's anything better. I Uh, really don't. I, I, I've shared, I share that love. I, I miss being regularly involved. I, and it's so funny. I get a taste of it when we went out to uh, the great facility you, you all have out there. The uh, was it the Booker T World Gym, right? I forget the correct yeah, name. World Gym Arena. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to love going show day. Get there early, you know, and lean on the side, the apron after the ring's built, and the smells, dirt, blood, sweat, whatever, and just the sound of that, the first bump of the day. And just, it was just, it was like a baseball field. You're looking out on, and you're just like the possibilities that are about to, you know, roll out in front of us here today. It, it would give me chills every time. I used to love it. And I got a little taste of it going to the Schmodown in Houston, but I just, I was out there leaning on the side of that ring. I didn't even want to get in that ring unless I had to, because it's like, it wasn't my house. But just to be out there and just feel like I was like, ah, this is this is the little tiny thing of wrestling that, that would just bring me back every every show. You know? Yeah, you know, um, and th- that's still like my favorite part is <laughs> it's it's weird. The camaraderie is my yeah. favorite part of the wrestling business is everybody um, thinking singularly, but acting collectively. Yeah. Right. We all have the same goal in mind is to entertain the fans and put on the best show. But and but we're all thinking, uh, and we're all we're all we all have a, a part that we all we all have to go out there and execute our part. We have to know our role and play it to the best of our abilities to make sure everything goes as planned. But the camaraderie of the business is it's it's similar to the Schmodown, to be honest with you, Ken, mm-hmm. yeah. is being having that 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 fraternity or that brotherhood and that sisterhood with everybody mm-hmm. in the in the mm-hmm. wrestling arena with everybody in the Schmodown just connecting and knowing that everybody loves what you love as much as you love it. And yeah. we all can talk about it and mingle about it and pontificate on it. <laughs> it's, it's one of the best, it's one of the best parts of the industry. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, Schmodown works best for me when it's everyone there working together to put on the best show. And usually for the live shows, it just pops. It's just, it feels so good. The energy's there. Yeah. And I miss that about wrestling. Yeah. It's, it's hard to explain the lock, the less wrestling locker room is a, is a, it's a weird phenomenon unless you really, really experience it. You can't fully understand it. Um, you know, and not everyone's perfect. There's always going to be drama. I mean, perhaps even more. I remember once I used to, we, we all have to work together to make a great show, right? We had one guy, he was uh, uh, booked to uh, uh, booked to lose in a title match, but he had a title match. And he, he got to that point. He didn't want to lose it, so he hid in the bathroom. <laughs> so we, we gave it to another guy. Uh, all right. Thankfully... Thankfully, we have Booker T there, and a lot of people aren't going to try that with yeah. him, right? Yeah. <laughs> like people don't, people don't want to like have Booker T l- looking for them in his own arena. To are, are you in the bathroom? Yeah. But um, but but, you, you're, but of course, there's people who yeah. come in and yeah, and yeah. wrestling is is such a business with sensitive egos, mm. and and everybody has them, and, and everyone's entitled to them because it's yeah. it's an ego driven industry, it's an ego driven business. But mm. you know when some people come in and they and they think that they are more than they are, yeah. and they get that reality check at the reality of wrestling. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes you know, sometimes when they get shown the door, 
Yeah. We have a phrase at our building. If, if they get shown the door, we'll just turn to each other and say, well, that's the reality of wrestling. <laughs> and, uh, and that, that's kind of what we've seen it one or two times before. <laughs> and um, it's, it, it is funny. It is yeah. funny, but don't you find, yeah. so being the commentator, I don't get to be in, I'm in front of the crowd, but I don't get to interact with the crowd as much as I would like to. Sure. So when Christian, you know, calls in and, and I get to go do some of these Schmodown live events, mm-hmm. and I know that you probably felt like this at the spectacular, when when you get that microphone and you're in front of the crowd and you have a background in wrestling, mm-hmm. they're they're going to have to tell you to stop. <laughs> Someone's going to have to yeah. cut your mic because when you get out there, you just you just love that energy and you love being able to manipulate the crowd or try to get a reaction. I knew if I go out there and I make reference to Kevin Smith's answer of don't tell Peter, I'm going to get booed. Or I know if I say this, I'm going to get cheered. And I told Frank Janish for a year, Hey man, I'm going to get this boat thing over. I'm going to go out there. That's spectacular. (laughs) I'm going to want to say, and you might know me by another name. You might know me as the, yeah. And pause and see if they say the boat and then they do. And, and uh, yeah. the wrestling in me, that's why I love those Schmodown live events so much. Uh, they are, they're, they're very similar uh, in, in vibe and feeling. And you're right. You're upstage up, up on stage, telling, uh, telling your story, cutting a promo and making it work for the story. I mean, there's an art to the promo. It is the, the art of selling the next event, the next match, putting over your opponent, all those kind of things when they're rolling, they're clicking. It's not just about insults. It's not just about the angry words. It's about telling that story, but telling, your story oh god yeah it does work it does work brother yeah you feel it you get it and i love it i love that you set out to be like you know what i got this idea we're gonna get it over and we're gonna make it happen and you did because you're the boat i love it yeah 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 but it it is (laughs) funny to um to see some of the guys in schmodown who have adapted to who are wrestling fans or Mm -hmm. or work in wrestling but have adapted to the wrestling aspect of it right a guy like um andrew guy Mm -hmm. who understands if i'm going to go out there and do it be a heel i got to be irredeemable but i also have to put over my opponent because if i beat somebody who means nothing or i say means nothing then it means nothing for me to beat them but if i build them up as oh you know you're great but i'm just a little bit better and i go out there and i beat them oh now it means the world and I can hold that over them for the rest of their lives. That yeah. you were, you were great until I came along. And, and, and those are the things that people, I think when they have this tertiary understanding of, of wrestling, they think, Oh, it's just guys yeah. in spandex yelling insults at each other and yelling right. and what have you in the promos. But it's not. And when mm-hmm. you go and you, you look at some of the best promo guys ever, when you look at the rock mm-hmm. or you look at Rick Flair, you look yeah. at Dustin Rose, baby, yeah. you, you know, they know exactly what their goal is and they know how, okay, I'm going to hit this. This is my stuff. I'm going to get my stuff in. Yeah. Here's the entertainment part of it. And then let me put the other guy over and shine him up real nice because we're working a program yeah. and I want people to believe in this. I want to put a little heat on it. Yeah. And, um, and there's yeah. a few guys who could do it in the Schmodown really well. Yep. And I think that aspect of wrestling, I think that we're missing it a little bit. There mm. aren't as many guys who can talk me into the building as there used to be. And maybe that's just like a bias of the generation that I loved. Yeah. But there were so many guys who knew how to talk you up into a match. Yeah. Um, Macho man, Hogan warrior, warrior. I don't even know what warrior was talking about, but he got me hyped to see him wrestle. Load the fuel um, into the rocket ships, brother, but you were in it. <laughs> yeah. The planets from the grim lap system aligned and, and I was ready <laughs> and to feel the power of the warrior. And, and so that's one thing I wish there was a little bit more of, and and I don't Mm -hmm. know, you know, if it's out there and I just, I'm not seeing it or if, you know, the situation doesn't allow for that anymore, but 
guys like Rock, even yeah. when he comes back now, it's just like, oh wow, it's it's <laughs> this, leaps this and bounds. Yeah, it's leaps and it bounds. Be. Yeah, leaps and bounds above sometimes. Unfortunately, but it doesn't mean I don't enjoy a lot of the top flight talent there. And if they had some of the reins uh, pulled off, maybe you know, I know there's been talk of that of 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 uh, you know the promos kind of free flowing. That's how that's how those guys found it. The Jerichos, the Pipers, the Punks, and all those guys. It, it was them yeah. and their voice. But it's it's a delicate balance. I also understand it's a TV show, and as you know too, it, it is. You know, I remember that one of the raw tapings I was at in the early 2010s, and I was just watching a cameraman give uh, blocking notes to uh, um, a manager. And um, I think it was, yeah, it was Alicia Fox, I think was on the, on the ringside. And I was just watching him kind of like, no, no, you can stand here, stand here. And I was thinking, hey, I said, this is a TV show. It's a different game, but it's still, it's all the ballpark. But it's, uh, so I get it. I get it. But I, I feel you, man. I feel you, man. I want those stories. There are, I there come are back. people out there. There are people out there who are still doing well in red. I think Kevin Owens is a guy who's a believable promo. I, I go to him. I really yeah. like um, uh, Zelina Vega. Zelina Vega. I don't know if you've seen her. She was Thea Trinidad. I, I've met the, her. Yeah, the, I've met her. Uh, yeah, definitely a fan of back when she was uh, Rosita. Um, yeah, yeah, four foot ten and with she, a lot, a lot of story to tell. Phenomenal, but she is yeah. phenomenal on the microphone. Mm-hmm. I can't sing her praises enough. So yeah, there's definitely those out there. Yeah, who know how to even take the material, like I said before, take that material and then take it to the next level. Yeah. And uh, those those are a couple that come to mind. AJ Styles has become a good promo in my yep. mind as well the, the his program with the undertaker he had he did a lot of great work too so oh, um great. yeah they're, they're still out there they're there they're there and we could talk the names we could talk those work rates uh, the work rates brad the 80 um but uh it's the emotions of wrestling that pulled me back just like the emotions of movies and why we celebrate them and why brad gilmore celebrated back to the future in his book back from the future celebration of the greatest time travel story ever told brad you got to put this book over right now and let the fine folks know where they can get it. Yes, sir. Well, I appreciate the time, Mr. Knapsack. They can get it on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Audible. There's the audiobook, Apple Books, IndieBound, Books a Million, any of those places you can get it. Hit me up in the DMs if you want to get an autographed copy from the boat. Uh, we can make that uh, happen. We can arrange it. But, yeah, I just I just want to shout out to, to you and everybody supporting the project. And here's the thing. If y'all don't know, Mr. Knapsack, Mr. Ken Knapsack's quote is on the front of the book. There it is. Uh, it is on the front. So it has his supreme stamp <laughs> of approval. It absolutely does. And I have read it and I enjoy it because I enjoy these movies. And like I said, it's a it's a great, great, just easy read. And that is a good thing because it just flows. It smooths. It's like you're having a conversation with Brad about this movie. And that's uh, that was uh, sounds like part of your goal. And you accomplished that, sir. So get the book, and I, I got to tell you, Brad. I don't. I don't know. They. I don't know when they ever. Uh, number one, I don't know when we're gonna be able to freely move about the cabin again and travel. But whenever the schmodown uh, goes places, I, I never, never really know if I'm being brought along anymore. But if we, if we get out to Houston, let's try to talk about doing like a co-book event. We'll get up there. We'll just have smoking jackets and pipes and pretend like we're real classy authors and do a co-event. Oh, we should do that. We should do a co-book event. Uh, in the middle, we should do it in the middle of squared circle yes. and just be like highbrow, like Andy Kaufman. Yes. Right. And we'll tell the audience about soap and all these things. And we'll be wearing <laughs> bathrobes while we do it. I say, let's book it now. Okay. Let's book it now. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Thank you, Brad, for coming on in here to the Napsack Files. It's been a pleasure. So we'll do it again, sir. We'll do it again.
It's time, baseball fans. The new podcast feed, Box Score Heroes, has arrived. This is the new home of the show, Behind the Bag, with Ken Napsok and Tom Dagnino, and is also the place to find shows like The Legends of the Wax Packs, the only baseball power rankings you need, and my favorite baseball, a nostalgic look back at the game we all love, and more. Find the podcast feed on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found. Box Score Heroes is your podcast home for everyone with a a passion for all things baseball. Special thanks to Brad Gilmore for coming on in here and sharing his writing process, what he was trying to accomplish, and what he did accomplish with the book. And so much more. Go support it. Get it on Amazon or even uh, find books. Or like I said, reach out to Brad. Get a signed copy. I, I have to thank all of you who took me up on my Star Wars Day special sale for Why We Love Star Wars. You cleaned me out. And I'm so happy. I had a couple boxes of supply left. And I thought maybe I'd sell 10 of these. Sold out. And I, I am mailing those out. It's up to me. I'm a one-man deal here, one-man shop. So the books will be going out over the next week or two with the signed posters, the keychain, the signed book, and I'll thank you enough. Then I'll get another box of supplies. We'll do it again. We'll do it again. So thank you for visiting my website, kenapsock.com, and making that happen. All right. May is here. We're in it. What are you going to accomplish this month? What do you want to accomplish? What are you going to accomplish? I am going to launch a baseball podcast feed. And I'm scared. I'm afraid it might be too much. Just like writing a book. Don't worry about what happens after. Just worry, worry about starting. Just do it. Just do it. We'll see you next time here on the Napsack Files.